Hey, magic. Okay. Lovely. Cool. Well, for those of you who don't know, whoa, there you go. For those of you who don't know me, my name's James. Um, I've come down all the way from uh, London um, just for this moment. Well, actually, it's for the bacon, but that's fine. <laughs> um, I've just been helping out my friend John, just doing some stuff with the local churches around here. Um, just trying to tell people about how amazing Jesus is. You know, he's the gate. He keeps us safe. He gives us abundant life. And I think it's worth talking to people about that. And it's worth us listening to what Jesus has got to say to us today. Um, so let's jump in. We're going to stay in John's Gospel. We're going to read from uh, chapter 20, which you can find on page 1089. So 20, starting at verse 24. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, verse 31. And we're looking at this bloke called Thomas, Doubting Thomas, as some people know him. How he met with Jesus, how Jesus interacted with him. And uh, how that applies to us today. So, John 20, verse 24, says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Cool. So let's, let's have a little chat about this. <laughs> so I wonder if you could go back in time, if you could meet anyone famous from history, a celebrity, a good guy, a bad guy, I wonder who you'd meet. Maybe you'd go back to someone like Henry VIII and give him some dating advice. Um, you can take your pick of all these amazing people that have lived uh, throughout our history. Um, but I'm sure for many of us, it'd be great if we could just build a time machine and go back and meet Jesus. How amazing would that be? But it seems like what John, at the end of this gospel, what he's writing here, and what we see through Thomas's life and how Jesus responds to him, it seems to suggest that we don't need a time machine. We can meet Jesus today. He can walk off the pages of this book into our lives. We can encounter him today in a way that is just as real as it was for Thomas back then. And so I want to touch a bit on this. I want to think through you know, faith and what that means um, if you were here with me yesterday morning, you know, I was talking about the abundant life that Jesus offers. And um, okay, it's one thing looking at it, but you need to take hold of it. How do we do that? How do we take hold of the life that Jesus offers? Well, it's, it's through faith. That's the hand that reaches out and grabs hold of everything that Jesus has done for us. And so I want to look at that today. But I also want to honor the doubts that some of us might face and some of us might wrestle with today. So who better to look at than doubting Thomas himself? So let's do a bit of a character study. Let's, let's, what do we know about Thomas? Well, it, it seems like Johnny wants us to know the exact Thomas um, that's you know, having this, this battle here. You know, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12. So he's one of the 12 disciples. Okay? He's, he's one of the followers of Jesus. Now you may think, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be some amazing 
holy guy who doesn't make any mistakes, like Mother Teresa or John Parker. You know, <laughs> you, know <laughs> you may think. <laughs> but, but that's not what we see. Uh, what do we know about Thomas? Well, from John's Gospel, John chapter 11, verse 16. You don't need to turn back there. But it's, it's the story where Jesus, he's about to go and visit his, his friend Lazarus. Um, but the place that Lazarus is, is, is full of a lot of Jesus' enemies. Um, and they're going to face a lot of persecution. And Thomas says, great, let's just go there and let's just die together. Like, there's no way we're going to survive if we do this thing. If we go and see Lazarus, there's no way we're going to survive. And then we look at John 14, verse 5. And Jesus is explaining you know, some deep spiritual truth about how do, we, how do we get to heaven? How do you get to the Father's house? How do you get to paradise? And Thomas is like, what are you on about? Like, we have no, we're never going to make it. There's no way we're going to get there. No way we're going to get to paradise. And then we get here in John 20. And, and you can guess how Thomas reacts. He's like, no way I'm going to believe in Jesus. No way I'm going to believe that he's alive again until I see some solid proof, some evidence. Thomas, I think, he was secretly British. He's quite negative, isn't he? He's, he's a pessimist. He just seems to kind of moan and grumble and, and struggle with everything. And so it makes sense. You look at verse 26, why he was away from the rest of the disciples for a week. So the disciples there at first Easter, they're hanging out with Jesus, but, but Thomas, he's, he, he misses Jesus and he's not there. He's away for a whole week. And you can imagine Thomas following you know, the most perfect man that ever lived, Jesus, and then he watches Jesus die on a cross, tortured to death. Thomas's world just falls apart at this stage. Maybe he's just stuck at home and he's contemplating and trying to figure out all week, like, what, what, what has just happened? Have I just wasted my whole life for this? I followed this guy. He said he's going to rescue us, but now he's dead. Or maybe he's just thinking, I just want nothing to do with those disciples anymore. They're following a fable. They're following, you know, they're still following this guy that's died. And so these, this negativity, this pessimism, it, it leads to isolation, and it doesn't help Thomas. You see, one of his problems, you know, he's negative, but another of his problems is he keeps himself to himself. He doesn't put himself in the right place to have his doubts removed or his questions answered. You know, imagine you're, you're a bird spotter and you're really stressed out and you just long to see a kingfisher, and, um, but you, you just spend your whole time in your garden. Like you don't bother going down to like the rivers or the lakes where they hang out. You're just like, oh, I'm never going to see a kingfisher. This sucks. I just want to see one. And maybe you look out your binoculars in the back garden. You never see one. Why not? Because you're not going to the place where they hang out. I assume kingfishers hang out in rivers. But you, you, you get the point. So Thomas missed out. Thomas missed out. And what does he say when he catches up with the disciples afterwards in verse 25? He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the side, I will not believe in the original, it's even more kind of powerful than that. It's like emphatic. It's, it's a double negative. It's like, I'll never, ever believe. I'm never going to believe. It's not just him having like a doubt. He's on the edge here. He's on the point of just giving up completely, throwing in the towel, thinking, nah, this ain't going to happen. I'm never going to believe. But he doesn't give up. He gives Jesus one last chance, doesn't he? One last chance. And that's the point. Thomas doesn't give up. He's close to, but he doesn't give up. And neither should we. It's good to come to God with our, our struggles and our battles. You know, if we're struggling with faith, that's fine. God wants to hear that. People over history have brought their doubts to Jesus, like Thomas, you know, refusing to believe without evidence, and that's fine. Think of a um, he was a journalist and a lawyer, a guy called Lee Strobel. He was um, in America, and uh, I think his wife had just become a Christian, and I think he just went out to 
to look into it. Obviously, he was a smart guy, and he maybe he was thinking, I can disprove this and get my wife back. And as he spent, like, I think it was like two years, just looking into the evidence, just examining all the arguments and just asking the opinions of experts and looking into stuff himself, he became a Christian. He, he had his doubts. He was wrestling with it. But he, in a way, I guess he didn't give up. He kept looking for answers, and he found them, and he became a Christian himself. And he says this. He says, if I had stopped asking questions, that's where I would have remained. But through doubt, I learned more than the one who has a naive trust of Christianity. And it was the evidence that led me to abandon atheism and embrace Christianity. And so for me, Christian faith is taking a step in the same direction that evidence is pointing. You know, imagine if Lee, if he just gave up searching for Jesus. I mean, he wouldn't have found him. It's important to bring our doubts to Jesus, isn't it? And I hope this shows that, that faith and evidence go together for Christians. It's not just blind faith. Being a Christian, it's not about leaving your brain at the entrance of the, the church or the pub <laughs> and then you scoop it back up when you leave. This is, this is rational, reasonable, reasonable faith. And so perhaps then the problem isn't with Christianity, but, but with us. That's what we see with Thomas, isn't it? He's pessimistic, he's negative, he just, he's blind to a lot of the stuff that's going on. He's not investigating, he's not putting in the work to find out if this is true and reliable. For Thomas, it was a shock that Jesus would die. And I think that was it, he just gave up. Um, it's not just Thomas who felt like that. You read at the end of Luke's Gospel, and you've got the disciples and they're just going home. They're thinking, we thought Jesus was going to rescue us, but he hasn't. He's let us down, we give up. They thought God would act one way, but he acts another, and so their faith is crushed. And I wonder if for us there's a similar thing that goes on. Maybe through suffering. We think, God, you know, you're, you're good, you're large and in charge, you're in control, and yet I lost this person or I lost this thing. I quit. You know? How, how do I marry these things up? You're good, you're in control, and yet this has gone so wrong in my life, therefore I give up. Maybe it's issues around ethics. You know, God, if you're loving and you want what's best for me, why do I have to change this thing that's going on in my life? I quit. You know, perhaps we're in a similar situation, giving up on God because he doesn't meet our expectations. And if we abandon God, it clouds the way that we start to look at the evidence that's there. You know, evidence, it never speaks for itself. It, it's, our, it's our perspective. It's our worldviews. It's our attitudes that interpret evidence. And if we're in a negative state or a worse state, one step worse than where Thomas was, where we've completely given up, then no matter what the evidence is, we'll just brush it off. <coughs> There's a story of this man who um, he thought he was dead. Okay, it's a silly story. A man who thought he was dead, he'd wander around his house, he'd given up his job, and he'd just think, what's the point? I I'm, I'm dead. And he'd speak to his wife and his kids and say, sorry guys, I'm, you know, I'm dead. Um, and uh, his wife was like, well, you, you're an idiot. What are you on about? Like, you're not dead. Like, you just... Let's, let's take you to a doctor. Let's go to a doctor. They'll be able to prove that you're alive. And so wife takes the husband to the doctor. Um, and the doctor says, well, let, let me just do a test, and this will prove that you're alive. And the doctor pricks the finger of the guy that thinks he's dead, and, and it starts to bleed. Um, and the dead man says, well, what do you know? Dead men do bleed. Like, you know, so it's, um, and the doctor's like, well, your heart's like, it's meant to stop pumping if you're dead. This shouldn't work. And he's like, well, no, dead men, look, they do bleed. It's, the point is, no matter the evidence, you can't convince someone of what they don't want to believe. And I just hope none of us are in that state of mind. It's a scary place to be. And so I'm thankful that we're all here 
today. It kind of shows that we're not in that stage yet. We haven't completely given up. You know, even if we get nothing out of church today, then being here is just a sign to God and the world that we haven't given up searching. So like Thomas did, he didn't give up completely. He turned up with the other disciples. He didn't know if Jesus was going to be there. He didn't book it in with Jesus. They didn't sync their calendars. As you see in verse 26, Jesus he enters the room almost miraculously. He took a risk to spend time with God's people who had been transformed by the resurrected Christ. And he found himself transformed. <coughs> Excuse me. So perhaps we struggle to believe because we're not putting ourselves in the right place. Being in, in the right place where, you know, allowing ourselves to have this experience with God. I remember that was my situation before I was a Christian when I was younger. Just moaning at my mum like, mum, why can't, you know, if God really cares about me, he'd make himself known to me. And I'd just be sitting in the kitchen just arguing with her, moaning. And then I'd never go to church. I'd never read the Bible, never do anything spiritual that she wanted me to do. And I'd still moan at her and say, I just, God, he's just not there. He just, he's not real. He's not making himself known to me. It was only when I started going to church and committing my life to hanging around other Christians and opening the Bible that God really just became real in my life. Don't miss out on God by hiding from him. Open yourself up to him. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So we've focused a little bit on Thomas. Let's, let's spend a bit of time looking at, at Jesus. So how does God respond to doubters, to those with weak faith, to those who have nearly given up? Or perhaps we think they'd be like Alan Sugar. You know, he'd look at them and say, you know, you're fired. Or Simon Cower, you know, we'd smash the red buzzer on the X Factor. I find Jeff Bezos, you know, the head of Amazon, quite interesting. He says, I don't have time for unuseful people, he says. Is that what Jesus is like? What does he say in verse 26? He appears and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with all of you. See how gracious Jesus is. You know, Jesus cares about those with weak faith. He could be doing a million other things right now, and yet he spends time with people that are wrestling with their doubts. Remember the rest of the disciples, they weren't much better than Thomas. They all had the doors locked. They were all a bit panicky, nervous about what was going on, what the next step was. They're all scared, and yet Jesus brings peace. He wants his followers to know the peace and the well-being that comes from a relationship with the resurrected Jesus, the one who's defeated death and sin. He's conquered our biggest fears, our biggest battles in this life. And by believing in Jesus, we become united to him by faith and we receive all that he has done for us and we get that peace with God. And that level of peace is one that Thomas is about to experience in verse 27 as Jesus invites him to see and to touch. In verse 27, it literally says, you know, stop believing and stop unbelieving and believe. It's not just doubting. Stop unbelieving and believe. You know, Jesus wants Thomas to make a decision now. You've got no excuses you know, you imagine the tension, you know, if like a, you're watching a, someone propose, you're in a restaurant and the, the guy gets down on one knee and he's holding the box and the wife is kind of, or potential wife is looking at it and, and they're about to make a decision. That, that seems to be what's going on here. But we see Thomas's reaction. He gets it. In verse 28, he doesn't even need to touch Jesus in the end. All his doubts are washed away when he sees Jesus. And wonderfully so, John's gospel, it, it kind of wraps itself up like a, like a neat bow. It starts with John 1, where it's talking about Jesus as God. The word was God. And it ends with Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. You know, Thomas gets it. In light of all the evidence, he can't deny who's in front of him. And it's a big statement that Jesus isn't just a life coach or just another 
preacher or a guru. It's God come down to us. That's how much he cares about people like you and me. And it's important that Jesus is fully God. You know, we need someone who's fully man to be our sacrifice, our substitute on the cross. But we need someone to be fully God, to bear the eternal wrath of God that was due our way. Now Thomas recognizes all that. He's affirmed by Jesus and blessed for finally seeing the truth. Now verse 28, it shows us many things doctrinally. We could write huge books about Jesus being God, and people have. But notice how Thomas expresses it. He says, my Lord, my God. He doesn't just recognize some distant deity. He's now in a relationship with the maker of the universe. My God, my Lord. And this relationship brings about all the benefits of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You know, it's like marrying a rich person. Um, you know, you, you get the benefits of that. You get to live in a nice house. Maybe you get a nice car. You know, you get the benefits of being united to that person. And it's the same with Jesus. When, when you claim him as your God, your Lord, you get the benefits of his perfect life. They get given to you. You get the benefits of him taking on your sin and your guilt and your shame. You get the benefits of his resurrected power, his spirit at work in us. Everything I have, I give to you, you say on a wedding day. And that's what Jesus says to those who claim him as their own. So Thomas is now a changed man. The story doesn't end there though, does it? Pretend you're watching this on TV. You look at verse 29 where Jesus is affirming Thomas' belief. And then as you're watching it on the telly, Jesus and everyone, their heads turn to you, the viewer. They look through the TV to you. And they say, blessed are those who haven't seen as Thomas has, but will still go on and believe. And then the screen kind of fades away. And then John, the narrator, he carries on in verse 30 and reminds us that all the evidence that we've seen, and in particular this this final account of Thomas believing in Jesus, that's all written so that we too may believe and find life. You know, you're given the power seat. It's like watching Big Brother, if you remember that. Um, you know, in the, the episode, you know, you get to decide who stays and who goes. And it's a similar thing here. We get to the end of the episode of John's eyewitness account. And the decision's with you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to believe him? Is he your Lord, your God? You decide. So everything I've shared, everything we've read, it's not me talking about some dry ancient document. It's meant to be God speaking to us today. This isn't merely just for our information, but for our transformation, our salvation. You know, the gospels are there so that we can witness who Jesus is and make a decision for ourselves. Now, I imagine some might say that, you know, we're not Thomas. I can't physically see and touch Jesus like he did. How am I ever meant to believe? And that's what John addresses. Again, these are written so that you would believe as Thomas did. This isn't written down as some ancient novel to empower the disciples and show how amazing they are. They come across as idiots, you know? This doesn't benefit them in any way. And later on, all of them go on to die for this belief. This is here so that we might believe. We might take hold of the eyewitness accounts, learn about Jesus and what he did, and then apply the benefits of that to ourselves. That's why this is here. And so as we go through John's eyewitness account, we can see Jesus with greater clarity. You know, Thomas only has one side of the story, but we get the full picture. It reminds me of being a witness to um, one of the terrorist attacks on London Bridge. I think it was the 29th of November, 2019. Um, so the place where I work, London City Mission, the headquarters is on um, Tower Bridge Road, and I was just cycling past Borough Market, and you see the crowd, I remember seeing the crowds running, you could hear the police sirens, 
people on their phone, everyone's on their phones looking a bit panicky. Um, and so I, I knew something had happened. I knew something had happened, but I had one eyewitness account of it. That was it. It was only like an hour later when I was looking on my phone and checking what had just gone on that I had the benefit of every other eyewitness account. I learned more about what was going on, not through my little one perspective, but through everyone's perspective combined. And so I could really figure out what the event was and what happened and how I meant to respond to it. And that's what's happening here. We have the advantage. It's not Thomas. We don't need to go back in time and meet Jesus like Thomas does. We can meet him through here and get the full picture and make a decision through that. We can know Jesus personally as well. Remember, he's alive. He's resurrected at this point. He's done his ministry. He's died and he's risen again. And he's alive today. When Christian's talking about knowing him, like we can know him today, right now. We're not following some dead guy. You can, follow the, you, know, you can visit the grave of Muhammad and Buddha and all these other people, but Jesus is alive today. And we can know him as well as Thomas knew him through the Bible as the Spirit works in us. Now, this is why the Bible is the most important book in the world. Not because it's special ink or special paper, but because of the special relationship it opens us up to. Let me just quote two different Charles' view on the Bible. So King Charles III, you know, after he's holding the crown and, uh, and the, the orb and all these like ridiculously expensive items of jewellery, he's then given the Bible. And what does the Archbishop of Canterbury say? He says, take this, the most valuable thing the world affords. It's this book that's worth more than all those things you're holding because it enables you to know God and get right with him. There's the first Charles. Second Charles, Charles Dickens. You've all heard of him, the famous author. And yet he says the Bible is the very best book that the world will ever know. And so there we have it. You know, all that's left to do is just give our lives to God. Like this is him talking to us right now. This is how we put our faith in him. And like Jesus saying, Thomas, you know, stop believing, unbelieving, and believe, that echoes down to us today. You need to go to bed as if it's your grave. This isn't something we put off. Jesus didn't want Thomas to put off the decision. We need to make the decision now. So we trust in him, believe in him, even if it's with a weak faith. Remember, it's not about the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. Whether I grab hold of Jesus with both hands or with one finger, I'm still taking hold of him. And that's what we've got to do. He'll never let us down. And if we already trust him, just keep on trusting him. Jesus never gave up on us. And so too must we never give up on living for him. So in closing, you know, who would you like to meet from history? Well, hopefully today we've had some sort of an encounter with, with Jesus. You've seen what he's like. You've met him as the spirit has been at work, just speaking to us through the word. Maybe you've met Jesus before. Maybe this is your first time. But hopefully you will see the abundant life that he offers us through belief is worth clinging to, despite any doubts that we have. Thomas trusted in Jesus and found new life. And it's my prayer that we would all do the same today. Amen. All right. Shall I pray? Let me pray really quickly. I'll have like 10 seconds of silence and then I'll pray. So yeah, Lord God, we thank you so much that um, you've given us your word, that we can know you. We don't have to just um, fumble around in the dark, just trying to figure out who you are, where you are, what you're like. Um, if we want to know what God is like, we just look into the face of Jesus. And we can do that every time we open 
the Bible. Um, Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that we would all get to know you more, that we would see the supreme value of knowing you above all things. And um, yeah, Lord, you would be gracious to us and just reveal yourself to us even more today. Um, And may we just be blessed and transformed by that. This isn't for our information, but for our transformation. So would you be doing that in our lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Any questions, you can come and grab me at the end. But um, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for listening.